Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on WDAY. On uh, what is, I guess, depending on your perspective, could either be seen as a pretty good day or not such a good day. That certainly, uh, you know, just watching the uh, the reactions to uh, Donald Trump's inauguration today and his subsequent speech, it's ranged from, you know, the you know the the expected. Uh, praise uh to somebody calling it hitlerian and and not on by the way that's from like a professional professional media outlet uh abc news comparing trump uh, hit hitlerian i i guess I, this is the next four years america get used to it I, i'll i'll be i'm a little anxious about donald trump I, I, I think he has the potential to be a good president. I think he also has the potential to be an absolute disaster. Uh, I guess you could say that of any given president, but I think it's more—it's probably more true of Trump than a lot of them. Uh, I was not at all sorry to see the Obamas go. I think President Obama was a, was a terrible president. In my estimation, the worst president of my lifetime, which started in the Reagan administration. But uh, it's over now. Barack Obama's gone, Trump's in, and uh, that's the way the world's going to go from now, at least for the next four years. Barring some scandal, some Nixonian scandal that drives him from office, which I'm sure many are are praying for, I hope he's successful. I hope he finds success, but we'll see what happens. I've got a good show in a moment, going to be joined by former Governor Ed Schaefer. We'll, we'll get his reaction briefly about uh, the inauguration, but I also want to talk to him about legislation. Back when he was the president of the University of North Dakota, he promised reform to the hiring pro- uh, process for university presidents. He's now backing legislation that would apply to all state hires. So we'll we'll get into the details about that with him. Also coming up at one thirty, we'll talk a little bit more about the inauguration. Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to be coming at us uh, to us live from Washington D.C. He attended the events at the inauguration at the Capitol. Uh, so we'll talk with him uh, about that coming up at one thirty. Plus your phone call, 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Now my guest, Ed Schaefer. Ed, how's it going? It's going well, Rob. Glad to be on your show. And it is a great day in America today. So um, yeah. you, as you mentioned, no matter what side you're on, I mean, this is just an awesome presentation of our government and our uh, system that was set up to elect our leaders and to drive our government by our people and you know, it is uh, having uh, it, having been involved. You know, at that level, I mean, this is an exciting day for America. How do you? Uh, how, how do you? Were you a, were you a Trump supporter? I guess I don't know. I never asked you. Did you? I mean, Donald Trump is I, he your guy? Yeah, I didn't uh, endorse him or anything. I voted for him. Um, I, you know, I I had other friends and and colleagues and things that were running for president of the Republican Party that I liked better and supported before he did before I supported him, but um, you know I voted for him. I thought he was the the best possible thing, and I'll tell you why. I think he became the voice of the um, of the people. Uh, you know, for too long, New York, Washington D.C., Los Angeles has been to trying to drive us here in the Midwest and rural America. And, you know, they've been to drive, tell us what we can say, what we can't say, where we can worship, how we can worship, you know, what to do, what we can't do. I mean, this has been driven by a liberal agenda on the coasts of this country, and they forgot 
that the real power and strength and foundation of this country is with the people. And those people stood up, they revolted and said, we want something different. I, I think that's true. He said two things that I had polar opposite reactions to. I heard him say that he is going to stop uh, Washington, D.C. from being this central power in the governance of our country, and he's going to return power to the people. As somebody who has always been a staunch federalist, I hear that, and I think we're going to give power back to the states. I like that. I love that. I, I think so much of the discord in this country stems from our trying to solve very diverse policy problems in a very diverse country with one-size-fits-all solutions from the federal level. I think it doesn't work. I think federalism's the way to go. I hear that. I applaud. Some of his stuff about we're going to buy America first, we're going to keep the countries and, you know, the, the you know companies in the country, I don't know. That sounds like trade protectionism for me. I, I'm still a believer in the free market, and I wonder what the implications of that are going to be, uh, particularly for industry here in North Dakota. Obviously, free trade, very important for, for North Dakota industry. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, you know, I follow along pretty much what you're talking about, Rob. I, you know, I, I, having sued the federal government uh, for states' rights, having been involved with governors' organizations that have sued the federal government to allow power and, and authority to reside in the states per our Constitution, you know, I fully agree, you know, that we need to move this out of Washington uh, where people just have no common sense or any feel for the people, you know, back to the states. Um, that's just one of the most important things we can do. Um, secondly, as far as trade, I think, I think, again, having been at the table, having negotiated trade agreements with other states, I mean, excuse me, with other countries, you know, you have to look at it and say, you can't just say, you know, everything that comes in, we're going to restrict, we're going to, we're going to um, uh, put tariffs on and fees and, you know, this and that and make America great again. And then, by the way, expect them to buy our products and our, you know, services and things overseas uh, without those same restrictions. It's a very delicate balance and certainly, you know, America, I think, believe, I really believe in the last eight years, that we have gotten into an acquiescing government, that we've gotten into saying, well, you know, we want to open this up, and so if we have to give up this and have to give up that, we will. And we didn't negotiate those those agreements from a from a strength and from power. And and so I think there's a lot that can be done, but I think President Trump will clearly find out soon that trade is really important to the United States of America. And that if we don't develop those foreign markets uh, for our manufacturing, for our growing, for agriculture, for, you know, our services out there, that, uh, you know, we really restrict the economy and we got to get our economy rolling. I agree with that. 701-293-9000, I didn't bring you here to just talk about Donald Trump, though. When you were the president of the University of North Dakota, you said there's a problem with the way we hire university presidents in this state. Uh, and you said that, you know, part of the problem is, is that the people who apply, the minute they put their applications in, those begin, become open records. And so it's a deterrent to quality candidates who want to apply. So there's legislation down in Bismarck. It's Senate Bill 2152. Prime sponsor is Senator Lonnie Lafine uh, from Grand Forks. Uh, and the legislation essentially says that if there's three or more applicants, uh, those applications are a secret until uh, you know three finalists are are designated at which point the finalists then become open record did, did i sum that up correctly 
Yeah, I think that's uh, that's uh, uh, a good summary. We have uh, this legislation I've been helping work on. We've got an ad hoc committee that, uh, you know, it's pretty broad range. Uh, as you mentioned, it's all public employees, not just the universities. But, uh, you know, this is an issue where are, are we going to attract the best and the brightest and the most capable employees for the people of North Dakota, or are we going to continue to have barriers in there that, you know, that block out people from even applying to important leadership positions in our state? I, I think it's in, – in the past, I have been critical of this sort of legislation because I tend to be a little bit of a transparency absolutist when it comes to government. But honestly, I like this, and I like it for a couple of reasons. First of all, if it's a good idea for university presidents, it seems like it's a good idea for the whole system. Uh, and, and secondly, uh, frankly, I think we've had some bad hires, particularly in the university system. There are some university presidents I could name uh, that we don't need to get into all that. Your mileage may vary, but I, I, I think we've had some bad hires at time. And I think sometimes maybe that is a product that we're not getting the best candidates we possibly can to apply for some of these jobs. Now, let me ask you a question, though, about the nuts and bolts of this. It says, if a public entity receives applications from three or more applicants for a vacant position, the public entity must designate three or more of the applicants as finalists. What happens if there aren't? What happens if there's two applicants or one applicant? I mean, maybe, maybe that's yeah. not going to happen, but, you know, under the law, is, is, is that one applicant automatically a finalist and that's a secret? Um, that's a, that's a, uh, uh, something that is a concern with this piece of legislation to clarify how that works, uh, Rob. Um, I've been talking to superintendents uh, of schools across the state. And, you know, in small rural areas, a little community in North Dakota, they might only get one applicant. They might get two. You know, now the effort of this law is to, or the, or, or the change in our law is to get more applicants, to get better applicants, to get, you know, I mean, the, the effort is to do that. But we've got to have, the mechanism, I think it's in there, I'm not sure it's clear, but the mechanism has to be that if you get one applicant or two, or, you know, if you only get a certain number of applicants, the number of finalists goes down, or, you know, somehow we've got to protect um, those small rural communities in North Dakota when they're fighting to fill leadership positions. Um, so, you know, I mean, we believe in the open records. You and I talk about that a lot. I'm a champion of open records, but... You know, our current system does two things. One, it, it uh, blocks out people from trying, and when they do, it can affect their livelihood. And I think once we start rejecting the privacy of an individual uh, and their application to a leadership position in North Dakota, you know, then we've got to change the law. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Just a couple minutes left with uh, former Governor Ed Schaefer. I want to move on. And anything else? I, I wanted to ask you this question specifically because you were you were a, a, a big Doug Burgum supporter back during the campaign. Uh, an issue came up before the legislature uh, regarding nursing home beds and a proposed assessment uh, on people paying out-of-pocket for nursing home beds to turn around and help fund uh, Medicaid funding uh, f f for the same. Uh, during his campaign, Doug Burgum signed not one but two uh, pledges to not support any tax increases. But now as governor, he's saying this is a proposal which should be on the table. Myself and others have said, boy, that sure sounds like a departure from those pledges. Are we being fair or are we being unfair to your, your guy, Doug? 
Yeah, yeah. I think you're being. I think you're being fair. I mean, you know, obviously, we all heard a pledge: no taxes, no fees. Um, but here's the deal: that doesn't bother me so much. I mean, you get in the office, you realize you have a balanced budget requirement in our constitution. You're going to have to bring, you know, those things together. And and I texted Doug the other day, and I said, I hope we're good enough friends so that you're not going to get perturbed if I oppose a piece of legislation you're supporting, because this tax. <laughs> on long-term care residents is stupid. Uh, Long-term care association has been trying to get this on the table since I was governor. And what it does is it penalizes people who take care of their finances, who put their money in a savings account, who, you know, want to take care of themselves. They work hard their whole lives and say, you know, if I get ill, if I get, you know, incapacitated, I want to be able to take care of myself. This penalizes those people. And I just think it's a mistake. We don't need more revenue. We need to set the priorities. I think long-term care is a priority, but there are other funding sources than raising taxes on people. Better to focus on the priorities, trim government expenditures in places where we don't need it, and let our people in long-term facilities you know, live in peace without having to worry about increased taxes uh, when they are in a position not to do anything about it. Last question. Do you think, to me, I look at how heavily regulated, especially North Dakota is just one of two states where we regulate. You know, we essentially have a price control on this. Do you think another path might be to, 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 instead of instituting a new tax, maybe jettison some of the regulations and price controls we have in place now? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, if you look at if you look at the stack of regulations or the thick book of all the regulations for nursing homes, they tie their hands. You know, they, you know, Doug Burgum came in as our new governor to reinvent government, to look at new ways of success. You know, let's change things around. How are you going to do that in a long-term care industry? You know, if you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this, you have to pay for that. Yeah, you know, there's no way that you can innovate or, you know, look for new ways or new things. The only thing that, that we're looking at there is saying, give, we're just going to continue to do everything we're doing, give me more money and everything will be fine. And, you know, that's just not the way to change the face of North Dakota that Doug Burgum wants to do. Well, Ed, we're all out of time. Thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. And have a good weekend. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Hello to your listeners. And like I said, it is a great day in America. today. That's that's for sure. Former uh, Governor Ed Schaefer, more to come straight ahead. I'm Rob Port. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, WBAY. We uh, just a few minutes here. We went a little long with uh, Governor Schaefer, but uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer coming up next. He'll be live from Washington D.C., where he attended uh, the inauguration of Donald Trump. Which uh, I'm watching uh, videos from social media right now of people in the street rioting in Washington D.C. Riot police, tear gas. I mean, what a disgrace. So many people talking, rightly because they're talking about the general concept, but talking about the peaceful transfer of power. And that's what democracy is intended to promote, right? A will, you know, a, a, a form of government that represents the will of the people that allows us to, you know, shape or, or, or change the leadership of government in a way that doesn't result 
in open warfare, and yet in the streets of Washington, D.C. today, it looks a little bit like a war zone. And that, it worries me that, that so many people, on the left in particular, because I don't see Tea Party protesters out throwing rocks at cops. I don't see, uh, you know, people who want lower taxes or corporate tax cuts or anything like that out, uh, you know, like, like the no dapple protesters were out attacking cops. I, it's not happening. It's happening on the left. And it, it, it worries me that there is a group of people in this country who feel that their cause is so just that they're justified in committing acts of violence and insolence to get their way. I, I wrote today on, on the blog that, that President Barack Obama was the worst president in my, my, my lifetime. And I think a big part of that is because he engendered this sense of superiority in his supporters, right? We are the ones that we were waiting for. That's what he told his people. And and there's this sense, I think, among the, the sort of cult of Obama, for lack of a better term, that they are the most tolerant, they are the most intellectual, they are the most pro-science, they are the most empathetic people in our country, and anybody who is opposed to them is just a bigoted speed bump on the road to progress. People who literally believe that are dangerous. And I think every time we see a Black Lives Matter protest spiral out of control, every time we see a pipeline protest turn violent, I think it's a manifestation of that central attitude. And it's a little scary. I hope it's something that changes in our country. Congressman Kevin Kramer coming up next. Don't go away. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to WDAY. I am Rob Port. This is the Rob Report. You can call in 701-293-9000, That's the toll-free version. You can email me too, talk at WDAY.com. My guest right now, Congressman Kevin Kramer, who is live from Washington, D.C., where he uh, attended the inauguration of Donald Day J. Trump, a uh, man who, when he was a presidential candidate, uh, uh, Representative Kramer was among the first in Congress to endorse. So, uh, Kevin, how are you feeling today? Well, it's uh, a little bit surreal, very jubilant, um, fairly emotional, actually. I wasn't, wasn't expecting that, but, um, you know, it was, it's hard not to be a little bit overcome by some emotion when uh, you, you sit, you're sitting on the platform watching the the president of the United States being sworn in with the several former presidents uh, watching on, and uh, and just to think, what, what, you know, how does how does, what other country does this happen in as elegantly as it happens in the United States is is very cool. Where where did you get to sit? I, I kept looking to see if like you were going to be like behind Barack Obama or something like that. Where where did sure. you get to sit to watch it? So that's actually um, I was as you look at the stage. You're looking at you know, looking at the podium. If you look to the right and up, you know, up a little ways up those that the platform has that that the bleachers to the bleachers. Um, so I was just up the bleachers a little bit. Uh, I had a great view, of course, of uh, of the president and a great view, really. Of you mentioned Barack Obama, so I really was behind Barack Obama and uh, more behind uh, 
W. George W. Bush and Laura, kind of straight up from them. So it's a great view from sort of the back, um, but got some nice photos. You know, we, we talk a lot about the, the peaceful transition of power. I've been watching on mm-hmm. social media reports. There certainly were some protests. Uh, some areas where police are deploying tear gas. Are, are you seeing any of that? Are you hearing any of that? I mean, is that it was was that visible for people participating in the events today? Not at the inauguration itself. Um, and I haven't, to be honest, I haven't wandered around town. Some people have said when they've been over at Union Station, there have been quite a few protesters. Union Station is a great place for protesting because it's a very loud, cavernous, you know, room or uh, building, and so they, they were able to make a lot of racket there. But, no, I didn't see anything, you know, even from uh, looking down on the crowd and stuff. It was pretty peaceful. Well, that's good to know uh, that it wasn't disrupted in that way. So, no. so what, what are we to – obviously, um, one thing that I took from President Trump's inauguration is that he said, you know, the, the empty talk is over. It's time for action, and I have a feeling he's going to keep us all pretty busy uh, over the next, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the proverbial first hundred days. When can we see action? And one thing in particular, the Dakota Access Pipeline here in North yeah. Dakota. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things that are probably, you know, the balls in his court on those things. Do you have any sense mm-hmm. of a timeline on, on when we might start to see some movement on, on those issues? I do. I think with the Dakota Access Pipeline, I expect, I would expect that by next week, um, that the EIS will be rescinded, the EIS that was, you know, issued just a day or two ago uh, by the Obama administration will be rescinded. And evidently he, we have that authority. He has that authority to rescind it because uh, that's what the government itself argued in the case on Wednesday before the before the court as a reason why he didn't need to issue temporary restraining order because the next administration could rescind it at any time. I expect it will be rescinded quickly and that the the easement will be ordered and uh, issued, you know, maybe as early as Monday. And I would expect that uh, that uh, Dakota Access could begin finishing that line, uh, you know, within a within a week. I, that's my hope and that's my expectation. That would be. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of people in North Dakota here would be happy to see that go forward. Um, yes. what, what what about other initiatives? I mean, obviously, in, in terms, you know, intersecting with North Dakota's interests. Uh, do you mm-hmm. have a sense, you know, in, in, in terms of what Trump's going to do immediately? Uh, you know, what, what sort of things should North Dakotans be watching? Well, I think you can expect that waters of the U.S., for example, will be will be will be dead. Um, you know, it's caught up already anyway in court. I think you can expect that will that will be killed. Um, the the uh, things like the fracking rule, federal fracking rule, the methane rule, the clean power plan, uh, all of those are in various you know degrees or levels of of closure uh, or in the courts, uh, I think you can expect that his lawyers, the lawyers, the various agencies will be pulling those back in and, uh, you know, fixing them or, or repealing them altogether. Uh, so, so those will be important. Obviously, in the energy sector, manufacturing sector, agricultural sector, the rollback of regulations is, is just going to be gigantic. Uh, things like, uh, um, you know, even things as basic as overtime rule, the Department of Labor's overtime rule, things like that. And there's a lot that can be done in the first 100 days. I, I, with regard to Obamacare, and, and that's getting a lot of attention, and rightfully so, um, you know, there's still some flux, uh, certainly a strong commitment to repealing and replacing it, but trying to figure out what we're allowed to do within the rules of the budget reconciliation, what's best to do. Uh, you know, there's a lot of arguing, Rob, and, and it'd be, in fact, it'd be fun to get your insights on this. There's a lot of arguing over whether or not we should repeal it before we replace it, because of all things, the revenue would be 
would be cut. And and that's a, a rather peculiar uh, argument among Republicans because, of course, the revenue, the trillion dollars in tax increases are one of the most offensive parts of Obamacare. And yet now you have conservatives actually arguing that if we repeal Obamacare, we lose all of that revenue. Well, you know, that was, to me, that was that's one of the bonuses of it. Um, but of course, when you when you eliminate revenue, you um, you know you widen the deficit gap. Well, you know deficits that are created by uh, cutting taxes as opposed to a growing government, I think, have a different outcome. But anyway, those those are the things we're going to be struggling through. And yet, he is insisting on having a bill on his desk by late February. Um, so he's going to push us to work a little faster than. Our system is used to working. And then the other thing is really, Rob, it's getting it's getting the confirmation of much of his cabinet done so that they that the cabinet secretaries can start working where they're able to work as well. Speaking of, you know, regulations and rules and executive overreach, a lot of that stuff is driven at the at the agency level. So, um, you know, Tom Price, once he's confirmed, and I assume he will be at Health and Human Services, there are many parts of Obamacare that are egregious that really were ordered out of the, you know, are ordered by the Secretary of Health and Human Services. Uh, some of the mandates, the mandated coverages, things like that. So I, you're just going to see a very busy, uh, you know, very busy 100 days plus, I'm sure. One, one thing that I heard him say during his, his inauguration, he, he's talking about, and I, I forget the specific verbiage he used, but he is talking about some pretty dramatic cuts at the federal level in terms of yeah. ending bureaucracy, stuff like that. Is that going to be, because one thing that I was worried about is that we were, you know, we had president Obama who sort of accumulated and concentrated power in the executive branch and at the federal level. I've, I've a lot of the times been worried that Donald Trump is going to be somebody who comes in and pursues his own agenda, but right. using those same tools that president Obama has accumulated, which although I may like the agenda, process matters too when i hear him saying that that, that we're going to be getting rid of federal bureaucracy is he talking specifically about pushing power back to state governments and letting the states decide you know rob that is such a i think that's a fascinating area of exploration with donald trump and i actually think it's been one of those areas of of personal transition for him and it'll be fun to see it played out and and i think it was even i think it was even reflected somewhat in his speech today i i mean you know, I endorsed him early, as you stated, but I've always had my concerns as well. And I, one of them is exactly what you just um, outlined in terms of, is he just going to be our version of, of Barack Obama in terms of executive overreach or you know, pursuing a unilateral agenda? And uh, and we're, as a Congress, you know, we're pretty, we feel pretty strongly about, um, you know, Article One powers and, and Tenth Amendment issues as it relates to power to the states and, and those kinds of things. So, But I thought in today's speech, he, he was really quite clear about pushing um, power back out to the people. And I think he's actually, um, I think he's actually grown in that area a lot. And I think, to be honest, I think a lot of the credit for that goes to, should go to um, Paul Ryan and their growing relationship. This, these are two guys that haven't exactly been having a love fest throughout the summer and fall, and yet I have come to be pretty close, I think, in a lot of these um, sort of policy matters, because I'm with you. Process does matter. We don't. In fact, I rather look forward to the opportunity to oppose Donald Trump on something, just so that we can establish, you know, the difference between Congress and the and the executive branch. It's, it's interesting. And certainly, when I hear him say, you know, we want to push power back to the people, 
if you're doing that from the federal level, that creates an expectation in my mind, and I guess we'll see if it's it's the right expectation or not, that that power is going to go back to the state because that's what the Tenth Amendment right. says, right? Power is not reserved right. to the federal right. government or reserved to the states and to the people. So if, if, if that's what he's doing, boy, I, I, I think that really just put a whole new cast on the Trump administration. In my mind, as somebody who has, has long felt that a lot of the discord in this country is because we're trying to solve very diverse problems in a very diverse country with one-size-fits-all solutions from the federal level. Push it back to the states. Let the states get creative. That sounds wonderful to me. Well, and, and Obamacare is the perfect, most classic example of where that, the possibilities are endless. And, and North Dakotans should feel very, very good about this. I had a meeting with Governor Burgum on, I think it was Wednesday of this week, in my office. We visited for a good hour longer on various things, including um, Obamacare. And I'd reached out to him right away because I wanted to get his sense what he'd like to see done with Medicaid as we work on a replacement. And, in fact, I told the conference, the Republican members of the House, you know, none, none of them were talking about governors. And I said, you know, if we're going to do, if we're going to send out block grants or, or cap, you know, per capita caps or, you know, expand Medicaid or get eliminate Medicaid expansion, these are states' issues, and we need, we need to input a governor. So visiting with Governor Burgum on Wednesday and learned that literally that day of a, of a meeting that, was, that occurred yesterday in my committee, with, with committee uh, leadership and governors since there were so many in town. And Governor Burgum attended that meeting and gave his input on innovate, innovating and, and uh, you know, the types of things we're used to hearing him talk about. And the report I got back today from the chairman of the subcommittee, the health care subcommittee, Dr. Burgess, was how impressed he was with Governor Burgum's understanding of Medicaid and, and, and uh you know, digital health records and and innovation and flexibility at the state level, and it was just very encouraging to, to have had that happen and to see him already impressing our uh, our house leadership on the issue of Obamacare. So I think Obamacare is a perfect example of where we have an opportunity to you know, to actually practice what we're preaching. Well, Kevin, that's all the time I got. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to our country. We did it again. We uh, we had a well, mostly peaceful transition, I guess, maybe once we get those, those protesters in line. But, Kevin, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks, Rob. That's Congressman Kevin Kramer. We'll wrap it up next segment. This is the Rob Report. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report here on WDAY. 701-293-9000. You want to join in? A few minutes left. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. You know, I, I've, I have been a Trump skeptic uh, since day one. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was foolish to have him as our candidate. I didn't think he could win the general election. He won the general election anyway. I've been wrong in a lot of ways about the man. Um, I still sometimes, the way he approaches issues, the way he talks about issues, the way he talks about people, bothers me. But I, I there is potential here. And if, if he lives up to the way, and I know it's that's a tall order, expecting a politician to live up to their words at a speech. 
we're going to see here in coming days what a lot of that means. But if, if we can if we can decentralize power in this country, I, I, I firmly believe, and I've said it before, I've written about it, I firmly believe that so much of what's driving the angst in this country is that we're trying to do everything from the federal level, right? When, when President Obama would jump in on, like, the bathroom issue or, you know, jump in on, on some other issue and, he, and he'd insert the federal government. And it's – I think we're a country that served if the federal government did less, particularly in the area of domestic policy. Do less. And I, I, that's, I know that's, that's anathema to some. Um, there are people who measure success in politics by bills passed, policies implemented. And I'm not so sure that we couldn't maybe measure the success of Donald Trump, that this is the path that he chooses. And it kind of sounds like it might be the path that he's going to choose. If we couldn't measure his success in policies rescinded, bureaucracies shut down. And not necessarily because we're just not going to control things or we're going to head into anarchy, but because we're going to shift those policy-making decisions from the federal government, from the central government, and push it back out to the states, to governments that are closer to the people, that allow people to get creative, to allow North Dakota to pass policies that are right for North Dakota and not have to worry about what Californians are going to think about it. That is the beauty of the federalist system, and I, I, I think a big part of, of why everybody's so angry and divided is because we're getting away from it. Push the power back to the states, to the states, and to the people. That's what the Tenth Amendment says. If that's the direction President Obama, or President Obama, he's not president anymore, President Trump is headed in, then I'm excited. I hope, I hope it's right. More to come. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. Remember, you can catch me Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. right here on WDAY or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.